Hello, welcome to Real Life. I'm your host, Pamela Lau. And as I've said before this past year, I've discerned a deeper need surrounding the leadership crisis impacting each one of us. So today, I am so excited to introduce to you my next guest on the show. As you know, this series is unique and useful because I sit down with such incredible people and interview them about their roles or their previous roles as leaders. We talk about all things leadership as a Christ follower, how leading impacts their personal relationships, a time when failure calls them to question walking away, and how to support leaders ahead of them and emerging leaders in their midst, even young children. But before I introduce my next guest, I just want to make a quick announcement. I want to invite any woman listening to come to an all-day women's event at Beaverton Christian Church on March 11th. I have the privilege of being the keynote speaker. We're going to be looking at breaking through, particularly um, looking at the life of Caleb. But there's so much more to this day than that. There's going to be powerful prayer and an unbelievable worship. Western Seminary is putting this event on, and it is from uh, 9 in the morning till 4.15 that afternoon right here in Beaverton, Oregon. If you want more information, please email uh, Western Seminary at wcm at westernseminary.edu. They also have student and group discount codes. So I would love to see you there. But now back to our show. Um, Today, I have the privilege of introducing my guests to Dimitri Maddox. He relocated to Newburgh, Oregon recently. He is the campus um, director of intercultural life at George Fox University. And I'm really excited for you to hear his passion for leadership, for his relationship with God and students. And if you hang on to the very end, uh, there's a surprise song at the end that he references in this interview. Again, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Well, welcome, Dimitri Maddox, to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I'm so glad that you're here. And Dimitri, you are one of my newest friends who I'm so delighted to get to know. And I wondered if you could say hello to my guests and just give us a little bit of background of how on earth you got to Oregon. (laughs) So welcome. Love it. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I feel really honored to hop on the podcast with you. Um, And yeah, I guess just a little bit about myself. So I am a newfound Oregonian, born and raised in the South, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or the Dirty South, as it's sometimes referred to, in the most uh, wonderful of ways. Um, So yes, I grew up there, I was born and raised, and then ended up going to school in Southeast Tennessee, a liberal arts, Christian, small to mid-sized college. Um, where I studied music and psychology, thinking that my life would take one path, um, and God just was kind of shaping me throughout it all in unique and wonderful ways. And so after spending a few years there, and um, really ended up working at my alma mater, falling in love with the work in okay. Christian higher education spaces, and then um, just kind of to jump to it like ended up hearing about an opportunity in 
Oregon that I would get the chance to pursue. And so been out here for now two years and wow. or I guess it's been a year and a half. I won't, okay. I won't round up just yet, but um, loving the Pacific Northwest and specifically the, the Christmas trees everywhere. That's been <laughs> the biggest blessing. And what is your current role? At yeah, so I get to serve as the director of intercultural life at George Fox. And so um, basically that meaning I get to um, work with an incredible group of student leaders and an awesome team to create support systems for our students of, uh, of color on campus and provide opportunities for the campus at large to just grow in our understanding of racial reconciliation and what it looks like to do life together um, on campus and, and beyond. So it's I can't really think fun. of a more uh, powerful position for such a time, huh? Yes, I, I love um, really the time and where we're at in, in this point in time and being able to be at the, the helm of the work um, mm -hmm. and really engaging all of us together in these conversations. So yeah, well, before I, I'm like so excited. But before we jump into that, I need to go back and ask you, who's your family? Where and are they still in the South? Yes. So um, my family is split uh between um georgia and washington dc area oh wow so i grew up in a divorce uh, household um which had some elements of beauty to it that um mm -hmm. at the time i think even growing up i could see some elements of um because my family is a very loving kind family um church was always a part of of my upbringing although for my personal life it, it took shape in different ways in my own journey but um, yes, I, so when I moved out West, I did not have any family out here, um, but I get to go home and go visit them any chance I, I get any free moments that I get. Awesome. Are you heading back for the holidays? I will be. I okay. Will. All right. Well, anyway, we're so glad you're here and it's, it's just an honor that you get to explore, um, these, these issues that you get to and build a life here in the Pacific Northwest. So, well, Dimitri, what, what draws many people to you and what draws me to you in some ways is you just, and I wish my listeners could see, um, you just have a joy about you and I think, and you, and you smile easily, you laugh easily, um, and I think that's like, it's a bomb for today, right? For people to just know that, that you're okay. It's like when you're, when you're in the room, everyone's like, oh, okay. The world's okay. That's just kind of the essence you give off, which is such a gift. Um, but I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, I mean, you're still young, but you've got some, some years behind you now. Um, if you could talk about your leadership journey a little bit and can you remember the moment or the season or the time when you when you said, yes, I I I want to I'm going to pursue leading in the long haul. And of course, I've been reading a lot about different definitions of leadership. So whatever, however you define that as um, motivating people, moving people to make, you know, to get things done or to encounter God or for change. But when did you say yes? And can you talk about that? I love that question. Um, and it's interesting because I don't necessarily know if I have a clear cut moment that comes into mind, but rather a series of things um, that I've played throughout my life. And so I get taken back to when I was a little kid and, you know, every, every family, parent, um, 
mentor figure always has some mantras that they that are instilled into um into others and I think one that my dad always instilled into me was this idea of like being a leader and not a follower um which takes shape in so many different ways um but I think what I always gained from that is this sense of like what does it look like to rather than simply um follow the ways in which like um the way he talked about was rather than following just the ways of, of the world around me uh, blindly, like when it came to friends in school, like uh, if I guess you hear the story of like, if a friend did this, well, does that mean that you would have to do it? Right, right. We hear say that all the time to our children, right? Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, and so that was kind of where it started. And then in the midst of that, he'd always encourage me if there's opportunities to be the line leader in kindergarten or uh, to take up a leadership position in a club, like never shy away from using my voice. Um, so then that was always from a young age instilled in me when my faith was really becoming my own, um, I had this moment, uh, an encounter that I'd say with God, um, when I was trying to seek who he's calling me to be in the world around me. Um, there had been several opportunities in that season of life in which I was um, surrounded by other people that were also um, taking on elements of leadership in their their areas, whether it was in church youth group or uh, mm -hmm. or in school clubs and everything there. Um, and I kept hearing this phrase, leader among leaders, not necessarily that I would lead leaders yeah. uh, but as a leader among a group of leaders. And for years, I wrestled with what that meant. Um, but to me, it started taking the shape of recognizing that the value of my voice, the value of what I have to offer to the world around me, and um, kind of like, I, I often use this phrase with people when Dr. Seuss uh talks about like today you are you that's truer than true there's no one <laughs> that can be yeah. more you than you that sort of idea yeah um, about how each of us are each and every one of us are created in a unique way that has so much to offer to the world around us I think that is at the foundation of my understanding of of leadership beyond a positionality it's yeah. this idea of um I have something that I contribute to the world around me and that that is so valuable and that goes for everyone I encounter. And so um, I guess I'm I'm kind of saying all that to say, like in college, there things just kind of continued to step into those opportunities, whether it was with um with stepping into residential life spaces where I got to lead a hall and having mentor figures when I would tell them, I don't know if I'm qualified, that would say things to me like, um, you know, what is it that I mean, this is, it's some of those, those mantras of, of sure. maybe God doesn't um, call the qualified necessarily, but he qualifies the called. Yeah, uh, right, right. I, but those I, help, they help you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so much value to things like that. And even just pointing me towards stories in scripture. Um, one of my favorite stories of leadership that I could talk a little bit about later is um, just the story of, of Joshua. And how many times he had to be told, be strong and courageous mm -hmm. and how powerful that is that he became like one of the greatest leaders um, with the Israelites as well. So it's just different elements like that that had come to continue to shape my understanding of um, of what it means to step into leadership positions and not discredit myself 
um, from uh, from leaning in and knowing that God is walking alongside me in the process. And what I love about what you're saying, and it's actually, um, I'm having to really exercise self-control right now, is remember when we were in the discovery workshop talking about supporting leaders and what your parents or your dad did for you at that early age, right, was to, was to already start training you how to be supported. Go ahead, be the line leader. You know, that's a simple, you know, he didn't tell you that when you were 25. He told you that when you were five. It's true. So I love that. And that's exactly the kind of preparation um, that that gave you the confidence in second grade to do, you know, whatever. It's that element of like, um, I mean, foundational self-confidence to like put myself out there paired with like a sense of like, um, yeah, not being afraid to to try and paired with that sense of uh, any any opportunities to do so lead to growth, whether it pans out the ways that uh, are hopeful or that are intended or or whether it's a little bit more of a struggle. There's some growth. There's some self-understanding that comes into play. Um, and I think that was just such a beautiful part. Excellent. I love that. So you obviously have, now I'm not sure I hear, is this your second job position or is this your third outside of, uh, uh, and do you already have one master's degree? I can't remember. Yes, I do have my master's. I got my master's in holistic child development, uh, which is out of the counseling field. But um, yes, this is technically my, I guess, fourth position outside of college. I started as a projects assistant with assistant with residential life. Then I um, be at my alma mater, became a resident director there as well, right after, spent a few years in that position before becoming an area coordinator where I supervised resident directors. Um, And then I got hired to be the director of intercultural life here. So you keep, so you have just kept saying yes to the, yes, I mean, honestly, and that, and how has that felt to you? It. I think it's been miraculous because in a, in a lot of ways, there's this element of I could not have necessarily drummed up my path um, in my own imagination back then. And even the path that I thought I was going to take looked different from high school to college, from college to grad school, from grad school to um, the various positions. Um, and at the same time, they've all still been so aligned with my heart passions, too. And so... But like so much of it has been like um, these opportunities that have kind of kind of developed in front of me that, uh, like you said, it's been a matter of saying, okay, yes, at the very least, I'll be faithful to where I feel like God's kind of presenting in front of me. And if it pans out, then great. If not, then I'm going to learn in the process. So, yeah. yes. And what a great attitude, like Joshua and his and mm-hmm. his partner, Caleb. Um, yeah. So I want to ask you kind of a more difficult question, and I, I think that you have the character to handle it, but um, I've, I've worked in higher, Christian higher ed for a long time, and as you know, um, so has my husband. Um, how has being in Christian higher education been for you as a person of color? What is it like? Yeah, I love that question, um, partially because when I think about even when I was getting my start into Christian higher education, um, my hesitancy, one of my hesitancies beyond like 
struggling to see myself where I was at um, in the positions is also like, I couldn't see myself who I represented in positions. And so when I first applied for my first full-time um, job in Christian higher education, it was with the knowledge of I would be one of few. Um, and then it was actually not until several years into my career before um, I had the chance to attend a, a uh, ACSD, the Association of Christians and Student Development Conference, and I attended that conference with some coworkers. and there was a session for professionals of color, and it was just a gathering, and I remember going to that meeting, and I felt emotional for days, because that was the first time I had seen so many professionals of color um, in Christian higher education spaces, some of which were doing direct DEI work, others of which were doing work in as vice presidents or in all these different fields represented and with so much joy in the midst of it. And I just remember feeling so much of this sense of like, wow, like this, there are like, there is representation out here and in the field. And actually that was an experience that at the time I was going like, I was actually at towards the ends of, of my time thinking in uh, working in higher education. And then I saw that and I saw the possibilities, seeing the representation in all these different levels of leadership that I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. Um, and even there's times where, um, where I find myself in spaces where there's less representation of, of people of color. And uh, for me too, specifically black males, um, in areas that I'm involved in. And I'm reminded, like, I, I think back to that moment. And I think back to how I felt in that room. And I think back also to my own experience as a student, uh, looking up and feeling like, where's the representation? And students that approached me when I was in the position said, uh, felt like they were comfortable to bring certain topics to me. Like, yeah. uh, I remember in my first year of being an, a resident director, I had a student come up to me and ask, Dimitri, is this a safe space for people like me, like as uh, a Black man, and like being able to kind of engage him in that conversation and being grateful that he had a space where he could come and ask that, um, and he had someone that he could look to, and um, yeah, and I say that to say like, the Christian higher education isn't perfect, and Obviously, there's so much room for growth still in this because um, it has had its challenges at times because of that element of representation and, and wanting to be sure that um, I opted into working into DEI specific spaces, but for so many others of my peers who are still working hard, um, sometimes there could be this assumption or like this pigeonholing. Um, and so I think there's an aspect of recognizing my value as a leader and um, that has been a part of of this process and I continued growth process. Yeah and how might your experience that powerful experience you had in the gathering mm -hmm. how might that lead you you know in these next few years because we don't have enough gatherings sometimes right yes. and there's so much purpose in gathering Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've seen the book by Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering. Mm -hmm. And she talks about that when we are intentional about those gatherings, that the person who initiates 
gets to say, this is why we're doing this. And anyway, it's a really good book, but that is to me, what you just said sounds so kingdom-like to me, hmm. you know, that when you saw them together. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to have to check out that book, but. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, it's one of my favorites for sure. Um, but that's a powerful um, experience. And how else would you have seen that? It's not enough just to like do a Google search. Yes, exactly. And I, I think what's been fascinating too, the longer I've stayed in, um, the more I see um, individuals and opportunities that are, whether they're continuing to emerge or whether I'm just being exposed to them more, um, that are seeking to provide those those spaces for intentional growth and development and for intentional gathering. Um, so like this past summer, I got to participate in a, a program that was called Multi-Ethnic Leadership Development Institute, where it was for professionals who are um, professionals of color that are seeking to grow in their leadership. And I get, got to sit in, uh, do a two-week, or sorry, a week-long retreat with 20 individuals that are ranging from directors to associate vice presidents. And some of them I just saw on LinkedIn got promoted to vice president positions in the last couple of weeks. And being able to like see that, um, even from my vantage point as a young professional of color and seeing them, it, I just feel so inspired and like um, wanting to continue to create spaces uh, specifically in Christian higher education where our students are able to see themselves. Uh, if this is a career path for them, that they're able to see themselves stepping into the spaces and not feel like the lack of representation is something that um, holds them back from pursuing some, a potentially God-given calling. Yeah, uh, I really want to, I, I wrote that down. I really want to explore that, how, how much weight that carries, hmm. you know, to see that representation to in person, flesh hmm. and blood, right? Not just somewhere out there. Yes. I, and to I, know the person even, like you said. Mm -hmm. To build that relationship, to hear their story. Um, and there's so many, so much power with hearing someone's story, whether um, you can clearly identify with them or not. But I think there's something to be said about doors that it opens sometimes when someone can see, like, see themselves in someone else. It's, um, it, it's just something that I think for me personally, um, when I've seen someone who who looks like me in a space, and especially in a space of leadership, um, I start to wonder like, wow, what was their path like? Was it similar to mine? I, I start to wonder how did they overcome some of the, the barriers that they may have faced in their life to get there? Or what did support systems look like for them? Um, mm -hmm. I start to see and I start to envision like, what would it look like for myself to step into a position like yeah, that? Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, and seeing the possibility, so. Again, it sounds like the Imago Day, right? It's just, it's like there's something in you that's drawn, says, I, my the way I was made, my image is drawn to this image, yes. which, which takes me to my next question, actually. So can you recall a couple of stories, or maybe just one even, of when you came against the culture's image or expectation of leadership and maybe it is of being um a, a man of color i don't know um and that of of someone who follows jesus mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a tough question but 
I, I'm wondering if you can remember any stories of when you came against, you know, something that like just, no, that's not who I am. Yes. Um, so I've got a couple of different examples conceptually of mine. I, I'm trying to think about these specific moments, but I can think of instances where um, my style of leadership um, is often not necessarily to be the loudest person in a room. Um, okay. And there's points where I've heard either through, um, I guess I think about moments where I was in, uh, yes, uh, when I had applied for a position to become an area coordinator um, from being a resident director. And one of the things that I had to wrestle with was that um, I knew that when it came to team leadership, I really value taking the input of, of many other people and, and bringing that together, synthesizing that to be able to create something a little bit more collective approach to solving a solution. Um, and that I'm not necessarily the type that would just uh, come in and say, this is what we're going to do and that sort of thing. And um, I think there's elements of that that kind of led into thoughts Did you feel around like people wanted that from you yes there are points where i felt like people wanted me to be more of a, a loud voice more of uh the direct or even more of the stern um take charge dimitri yeah. yes exactly that sort of thing mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly it and i feel like um when i think about i i, I recognize the different ways in which jesus exemplified leadership um, and I think one of the ways in which I recognize him was one that would be someone who asked the questions and asked beautiful questions to his followers and, and supported them by helping them develop um, their thought processes with the disciples. I, I think about um, Jesus's presence um, with those they gathered and that it was so much less about being lofty and high above, but so much more about sitting at the feet and washing his disciples' feet, um, and so much more about communing with them in the daily. And I think that's something um, that's always stood out to me about Jesus's leadership. Um, and actually, specifically, that foot washing imagery has always been one of the most powerful. When I think about the type of leader that I desire to be, I think it's one that is never afraid to um, humble myself, um, to get down on my knees and, and serve those that I encounter and those that I get to work alongside. So now that's beautiful, but it's countercultural. Yes, absolutely. And, and you've experienced that for sure. Um, wow, I really, I really love that story. And I, I in a way, it's an it's an illustration and an analogy for for any leader to remember. I mean, that is ultimately. And is Jesus the one we're following? Yes. I mean, if that's, and I think that is a whole nother conversation for another time of what does it look like to be a leader who it follows Jesus? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, and that's kind of where I'm hoping to go more with my research in some ways. But, yes. but so the word that this word support is a sticking point for anyone who's leading. Um, and so for those who are listening, in your opinion and in your experience, from what directions should support come to a leader? So who's offering the support? You know, we 
we can't necessarily expect it to come from those we are leading we, to, for them to be our primary supporters. So is it our peers or discuss what your ex experience has been? And we've heard a little bit of it, but maybe you have some more um, insight into that. Yes, I guess when I think about um, the context of or the concept of support, I There's a few different images that come to mind for me. Um, and one of them is when it came to Moses um, mm -hmm. and he is holding his arms up and it's that story when he's holding his arms up, uh, then the, the battle is being won, but Aaron and her are coming alongside and holding his arms up on the sides of him, right? Um, the reason that comes up is because I think I get this image of it being multifaceted right? Um, that may not always just be from one area that the support comes. Um, and I think about it as actually having several avenues that support can emerge from. Um, and so areas that are coming to mind for me are, yes, like I think there's some aspects of, of support that do come from a supervisor. Um, and it may be as, as it, it could range in what that could look like based on the the area based on that person's strengths, um, the supervisor's strengths and whatnot. Um, it could look like direct work support. It could look like this emotional, like, I think that takes different shapes. Um, but then I also think about the support that comes from peers and the support that comes from having those spaces where you can process outside of the environment, the work environment, um, support from peers and, and family members that are willing to that know you so well that they could speak towards when they see your arms falling or they see like the exhaustion or they see the weight that you may be carrying and speak truth into that um, and speak life into that or or literally provide food for you. Right, right. Uh, Sometimes it's just a good home-baked cake. Yeah. <laughs> and I think support also really does come from that acknowledgement of God's presence in the midst of it because um, I think the, the verse that's been on my heart over the last couple of weeks has been in John 1, 1 through 5, where it's talking about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and nothing was made in this world apart from him. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's relevant to me because I think about that as an emphasis of his presence, how it has been, how it is and how it will continue to be. Mm -hmm. um, and in that same sense, having that support that comes from the acknowledgement of God and the in the recognition of the Holy Spirit moving in your life, um, in one's life, and um, being able to have that foundation that's centered on faith, I think as a part of that, um, as one of the areas of support is key. Let's just take a minute in here and just to unwrap that just for a moment, because yes. just even for two minutes, mm -hmm. how often um, do leaders lean into the presence of God as a as a way of support? Or maybe that's not the right question, because I think anyone who's following Jesus wants that. Maybe the right question is, um, how do we remind ourselves to do that? How do you remind yourself to do that? Is that just something that comes naturally to you? Um, can you talk about that just a little bit of living in that in his presence day to day while you're doing tasks, while you're in meetings? Yes. Uh... You know, what's great about that is the fact that I'm not great at that. And it's <laughs> that, like, 
I think um, it is a hard thing to because in word and in theory there is this aspect of we can some of us can recognize the value that that plays but then lived out it's a little bit more more difficult I think um one of the my favorite books to think about the constant reminder actually two of them one is the liturgy of the ordinary um mm-hmm. And then the other is Practice in the Presence of, uh, by Brother Lawrence, right? So two books that kind of have this element of how are we seeing God um, in the day-to-day, the mundane, and how are we acknowledging how he's moving and taking the time to, to um, pause and reflect on that. I think um, there's this aspect of, for me, um, really being attentive uh, or... I think there's certain cues. I'm going to rewind a little bit. What I found is for me, there can often be certain cues in my life um, that play a role in reminding me of God's presence, right? So I mentioned the um, the Christmas trees everywhere in Oregon. Yeah. Um, that The trees, as, as odd as it may sound, the image of the trees, the pointingness of it all, um, yeah actually played a role in my process to transition and accepting this job. And um, so when I see them, oftentimes I, I may have this mental comparison of life back in Tennessee and this reminder of like, well, no, like I remember when God, I first saw those trees and that being the sign of God is bringing me into something like a new growth, a new life and everything there. Yeah, that's powerful. Uh, there's a song called Breathe. Uh, that's been really powerful for me lately and it, it, it talks about the miracle can you, can you sing a line of it <laughs> uh, yes it, the the bridge of it I can feel my lungs stirring up again I'm breathing breathing in oxygen oh, of course it's just breathe it's a miracle we can breathe there's power in the way that we breathe so let everything that has breath praise the Lord so that song has just been um one of those reminders, um, when I hear it, when I take a breath, I'm reminded, okay, like in my breath, in the same way that God breathed into Adam and he had life, God is breathing me into me consistently. And it's a miracle that I have this opportunity. Um, and in the same way, like he is present in every breath. He is present in every situation. And so it's things like that, that remind me of his presence. And I think um, when I, for me, when I'm called to those things, I'm reminded of how like he is so omnipotent and so present in the midst of it or sorry om, omnipresent um, um yeah right yeah. wait no I know what you're saying and, yes and so in the the times where I feel that sense of weightiness of work like there's this point of just taking that time to like mm. breathe that also has those those physiological effects of calming the body and calling attention to the present moment and also like reminding me of like just how much um how much God is just working in present in that very moment and everything in my emails in my work in my conversations heavy conversations I have so I have a long-winded way of saying I know, but that's but that totally encapsulates the John verses. Mm-hmm. You know, he is in he or even Colossians, he is in all things, he's before yes. all things, above all things. So I love that. And I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off to be all things mm-hmm. yourself, right? Absolutely. Um so 
let's let me just ask you one other thing because what we're talking about right now is very deep and beautiful and it talks a lot about the inward life but in our in our current day and age we're fighting against hyper individualism Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you see that now i don't know maybe you and i see it differently i i don't know we're um we've got enough of a bridge between us that way in age but um what is the role of the individualism versus the organization for emerging leaders? If you understand what I'm asking about. Um, so just to clarify, you're asking um, in a time where the the temptation is to become hyper individualistic um, and to focus a little bit more on self. What is the role of an organization in developing leaders is that well no not really because i'm wondering some some leaders would say the purpose of working for an for an organization is to discover their mission and serve the organization mm-hmm. whereas others have the mindset well i'm here i want i'm here to be developed mm-hmm. i want the organization to develop me i'm going to work the way i want to work or have the time off the way I want to have time, whatever it might be. Do you see this dichotomy a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it came up, this, this tension came up in on an online workshop that I had done, was doing on um, the, the workplace and leadership. And a couple of the people on the call were saying, it's, it's not about the individual when you're, when you're looking, when you're working in an organization, it's about the organization. Um, yes, you, you see kind of where this is coming from. I, it's a so I'm kind of curious how you would respond to that. Yeah, I think I think it's fascinating because um, it's a unique tension, I think, to live in. Even I mean, when it comes to individualistic versus collective, like with what I was saying earlier about how how I was taught, like I am a leader in these elements of valuing my my individual voice and at the same time as a christian i believe i'm part of something bigger um the i believe the christian mission is so much bigger and the mission of following christ of becoming like christ um i think and and bringing heaven down to earth like i think it's so much bigger than individual um approach and so when i think about that especially as someone who values institutional mission um, and values being in alignment with that, um, I think it's so complex because on one hand, yes, there is this element of, um, there is this element of being a part of something bigger and because something, uh, we're all part of something bigger uh, in an institution, like there's this need for adherence, but then there's this also element of um, for a, an organization to flourish, it takes, it can take the flourishing of its members. I guess I land on in, I guess, both Galatians and or Galatians and Corinthians, first Corinthians, maybe I believe, where it talks about the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, and there's that passage that says that we're all part of the body of Christ, but yet the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Um, it's a part of this bigger body. It's a part of, part. we're all part of this bigger 
mission institution and yet the hand has so much value and the hand if the hand is hurting um, then that does hinder how the body can function because certain other parts of the body need to be uh, called up to um, or strengthen or take on more responsibilities and so I think there's an aspect of yes like there's a role there's an importance of having an institutional or organizational mission and vision and holding clear to that. And there's also a way to help the parts of the body know that they're a valued part of that and contribute and be, um, I guess, so where I'm looking, um, a, it's a, it's a strengthening or a, um, enhancing the no I can't think of the word other than just this idea of helping the parts to reach greater potential so that can contribute to the like growth and success of the institutional organization yeah, as no I see it I can see the image that you're trying to articulate mm -hmm. and I actually agree with that so so much so it's both Mm -hmm. it's both right it's not sell your soul and just serve the mission until you have nothing left in you yeah right? and it's not just you know walk to your own drummer right you know right. so it's both but you're saying that when when the organization and meaning it's people it's leadership and an individual when they work together it everyone flourishes yes absolutely that's a good vision I like that. That's a beautiful vision. I love the imagery of the body. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's well, it is. It, it, it's probably why Paul put it in there. Yeah. All okay. talking about. <laughs> have, have you ever experienced um, like a really dark time in your leadership? Um, maybe when you considered, you know, saying, you know, I just going to walk out on this or anything like that or anything that happened that you had to endure a struggle? Um, mm -hmm. um, and we can come back to that too, if you would like. Yes, I would say um, there have been points of, yes, experiencing a struggle. Um, in previous work spaces and, and uh, opportunities in which there were elements of the way in which um, certain conversations coming to the table um, surrounding the support of, of subsets of student body uh, that um, there are opportunities that we felt like were in line with um the organizational institutional mission and um scripture that we were trying to provide for for listening for for safety for hearing spaces um and those being shut down uh pretty quickly for a variety of reasons and i remember having those moments where it was trying to figure out okay if this is how the institution is approaching um, these conversations, and we know because we have that direct access to uh, 
Sorry, I'm, I'm speaking pretty vaguely, but I know you can speak openly if you would like. It's really up to you. I have I have listeners who are like, just tell me what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can say it. Yes. So essentially, um, at a, a previous opportunity in the institution, uh, there was a conversation, a guest speaker that came in and said some pretty um he he came in and was providing the opportunity for um, students who identified with the LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. community uh, mm -hmm. to kind of feel heard a little bit more. Oh, okay. uh, but it was not in a way that was necessarily emphasizing one direction or another exactly. as much as just sharing stories and real experiences of students. There were some external constituents that uh, family members and uh, faculty, staff members and whatnot that had pretty strong feelings about it. And it led to um, the president making um, a, a statement surrounding um, that uh, what happened that um, was not received very well. And so did that shut down the conversation? Is that what you're saying? So no, there are opportunities that our oh. department tried to provide for listening, and those were kind of looked at as like dangerous. And so then there became like a more of a, I don't know how to describe it, of as much of like we're going to shut down all of this for the time being, um, instead of dialoguing and instead listening. of providing space for dialogue. Gotcha. And so oh, it was moments like that yeah. where it was work that we were trying that we thought would be really good to help support our students that were being shut down that was really hard to navigate and figure out okay does this uh, mm. if this the way that we're having to navigate does that affect is this something that we need to continue in leadership with um, is this something that we can be authentically true um, in our in our work of uh, if it's out of alignment yeah. with what is taking place yeah. and so there are several conversations that have to be yeah. had and I, I really appreciate that story because for a lot of reasons I think that that in itself is a place where a lot can be learned hmm. and what an opportunity for you to see how it was not done well yes mm -hmm. because then you get to be the one who does it well absolutely that's that's such a great point yes the opportunity to learn and to to see to witness um, and figure out what, how could it have been handled differently um, mm -hmm. and really reflect on things like that. Yeah, I love that. Well, real quick, we have had such, you, I can't believe our time is going by so fast, but I need to, if you could do like a, a few bullet points, best advice for emerging leaders. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe those who are burning out at the middle or the top, um, What's the good that you're seeing in leaders who are ahead of you? So, so this is your time to kind of like bullet point it all. <laughs> I would say uh, bullet points would be never lose sight of the value of your voice. <laughs> um, that being made in his image, kind of subset of that being made in his image and being made uh, so intentionally is powerful and your voice matters. Um, I would say... A second bullet point would be um, 
always examine those sources of strength, sources of support, the avenues in which you are um, being supported and knowing like continuing to find what that needs to be for you. Um, and it may look different in different seasons. It may look like leadership in some seasons. It may look like peers a little bit more than that in other seasons, but making sure that you have those um, supports. And then the last one I think is um, remember your why. <laughs> uh, still from Simon Sinek, but I think there's something <laughs> yeah. powerful about recognizing and never lose sight, losing sight of why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, and what is the motivation? What is at the core of your approach to the things that you're doing in life? And that could also be something that maybe elements of it changes in different seasons, but typically like the heart of it is still at the same. And so in times where you're feeling that burnout, um, in times where you're feeling and wondering if um, maybe your current positionality uh, is, is where you need to be, never losing sight of going back to that why and letting that be a part of um, in, in tandem. And I think it is in tandem and in a conjunction with the Holy Spirit, uh, letting that be a part of guiding what that means for you. Yeah, so. that's good. Okay, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. Are you seeing good in of the leaders ahead of you who are ahead of you across the nation? Are you seeing good things? Yes, I think um, I think I am excited because I see a lot of leaders seeking to have conversations and seeking to understand like a little bit more of what is taking place in society, in the world. How are things actually impacting being willing to say, I know we have done X for so long because of X, but uh, maybe it's time to uplift and provide. And I have also had a lot of conversations with people who are talking about wanting to um, mentor the next generation more. And recent, like within the last year, I feel like I've heard that so much. Yes. And I think that truly is what's needed. It's It's a sense of how are we empowering um, and providing opportunities for the next level of or next generation of leaders. And I know I find myself in that uh, too, to some extent, but um, even from my, wherever we're at, how are we looking at the next level too? And I feel like I've heard leaders ahead of me doing that a little bit more. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, I can't wait to catch up with you again and maybe find out where you're going to be in a year or two, but thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you.